Um, I just want to mention, most of you know that, and many of you know, at least in 2001, I went to Southern California to begin teaching at the King's. I'm, I'm doing that on a very limited basis now, just online, because mostly right now I'm traveling to the nations. But in 2003, I started doing something rather unique, a whole new kind of chapter in my life, which is taking prayer to the nations. And um, so uh, in 2009, when I ceased working as a full-time professor and I just uh, do mostly online teaching, I started taking more prayer journeys. So in the last 10 years, I've taken eight prayer journeys to about 15 different nations. And uh, this summer, I was in, 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 um, in between September 1 and September 12, I was in uh, 10 nations in 12 days. And that was a very unique way that God set that up. But he wanted us to really blanket Eastern Europe uh, with prayer. And as we can see, the leading role that Putin is now trying to take in the world, we can understand why. And with that leading role is also really trying to uh, pressure those countries in Eastern Europe not to identify with the European uh, you know, common uh, union, common market, whatever, but to, to bring them back under the Soviet Union. And this is a very current thing that is happening, I mean, right now, today as we speak. So I know that God always precedes us, and he had us there. So I have uh, on the table back there, I, this, is, this is the, um, this I got from the printer two days ago. It's my newsletter, and each of you can pick up one of those. If you want to learn more about my prayer in the nations or my prayer ministry, uh, you can uh, pick up one of these too. They're, they're back there. Um, when it, I, uh, a few years ago, actually it was 2010, I wrote this book on connection, uh, spiritual growth through relational prayer, which is mostly about our personal prayer life. But every chapter uh, there, it is introduced with a story from the mission field, different places where I've been. Many of you already have this book, but if you have not had an opportunity to buy this book yet, you can do that. And Pastor Jack Hayford wrote the foreword. Uh, to this book. I also have to accompany, accompany this book. If you uh, email me, I will send you a PDF file that has a study guide that goes with it. When I wrote the book, I didn't include the study guide because I had not envisioned it. And then I began getting requests from people saying, I want to use the book in a, a small group and I would like to have discussion questions. So I can make that, that uh, available to you free uh, if you just request it by emailing me. Okay. That's it for that. I will tomorrow morning, you know, I would just love to spend an hour, hour and a half telling you about my prayer journey, but this morning I came to talk about evangelism and how natural it is for us to touch others with the love and the grace of Jesus, but tomorrow morning I get a good go at this congregation <laughs> to talk about my prayer journey and some of the places that we went and some of the amazing things that we saw God do in those days. All right. So I'm going to start off here. We're going to start with um, talking about how natural it is to talk to others about Jesus. Um, you know, the whole year time I've been at the Kings, I, I do teach evangelism. And it's interesting, when I started teaching evangelism online, I thought, I don't know what kind of results I'm going to get here because I'm not in the classroom with the students. Uh, you know, they're scattered throughout the United States. 
but I want them to touch other people. Now, when you're a teacher, you have some power that even a pastor doesn't have because I have to give assignments. <laughs> and guess what? People can't pass the class without doing the assignment. And so I always give an assignment that in a 10-week in a class, they have to touch at least six people, and in a six-week class, they have to touch at least four people, and they have to do reports every single week. Now, it's, you know, I'm really pretty lenient on them, uh, but some of them find it very difficult to do this. But I'm really happy to report that even in the in online class where I'm not seeing people face-to-face, I have had... Uh, in one class, uh, the students themselves, now I'm not talking about standing up in front. They, they led 16 people to the Lord. And these were personal encounters that they had with people, okay? So we're not talking about a pastor standing up in front. He has a little bit of a more advantage to say, okay, who wants to accept Jesus today, you know, at the end of his sermon? But I'm talking about face-to-face, one-on-one encounters. And in another class, uh, this, I had other students that uh, have led uh, 15 people to the Lord. And one of my most unique uh, evangelism stories happened about, I guess, about a year ago. I had a class, and uh, in my class there was this very sort of, I don't know how to describe her, sort of goth uh, type of student that was about 19 or 20 years old. And her head was all shaven on this side with some tattoos, and she had this long hair over here. And I said, oh, I'm so glad she's in Bible college, but this was an unusual student, you know, is because I didn't know her heart. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so I gave this assignment the first day, okay, in this class you're going to have to talk to six people about Jesus, and you're going to have to turn in these reports. And, and so... The next week, she came back, and she had a big smile on her face, and she said, when you gave that assignment, I was so intimidated because I I just don't know how to talk to people, and I didn't know how I was going to do that, so I, I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, please help me with this. And she said, then right after this, she got a text from a friend, and it said, I have a friend that just committed suicide. And I want to know, did he go to heaven or hell? Okay, heavy, heavy question with the text, right? So she said they kept texting back and forth. And so she moved the conversation away from what happened to the friend to, well, what about you and eternity? You know, where are you, are you ready? Moving it to that question. And so... Anyway, she led someone to the Lord through texting. <laughs> Isn't that a funny story? None of us, until she told this story, I wouldn't have believed that. <laughs> but it actually happened. <laughs> so I mean, God is unique. He can use anything. He can use texting. He can use online chat rooms. He can use other things. And uh, I, I think, though, none of those things take the place of, of our honestly talking with other people one-on-one. But, you know, God doesn't have the boundaries that we have because he loves people. And he loves to have people exposed to this wonderful good news that we have. 
Now, the unfortunate thing is that in the church, evangelism, the E word, is sometimes considered a bad word. So I'm, I, I start off here today talking about that it is natural for us to talk to others about those that we love and care for. That is natural. I mean, it's no work at all. So uh, on the next slide, you know, it has this question, what does a child do naturally? A child just loves and trusts. Do children need to be taught to love God? No, they don't. Children, even before the age of two, will begin even, you know, doing funny things like, I don't know, praying, singing songs about Jesus, doing, they just naturally love God. They don't need a lot of convincing. As we grow older, we need more convincing. But the scripture says in Luke chapter 18, where it is the story about the children that come to Jesus, but it's actually, uh, verse 15 starts that little paragraph, but it's in verse 18, it says, unless you become as a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. That's Luke 18, 18. So he wants us to become childlike. He wants us to become childlike, and he wants us to just love God because as we love God, we will love others because what does the greatest commandment say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Right. So loving God with all that we are, means that we will naturally love our neighbors and want to see them brought to Christ. So what's wrong with this? On the next slide. When we grow up, we learn to be self-conscious. We learn to be less gullible. We learn to distrust. We learn to question instead of loving like an innocent child. And so a lot of times we don't even engage certain people in conversations because we've already sized them up and we've already kind of come to the conclusion they wouldn't be open. And it's like this this person I'm describing in my class. I did find out that that girl was from a very musical background. Uh, Her father had been very big into music and uh, she herself had been into music and was a wonderful singer. And it was part of the facade that she had learned to adapt to as a musician, (laughs) you know, unless musicians feel like unless they're so far out on the cutting edge that they're weird, they won't get an audience unless they're a country singer, okay? (laughs) But if they're rock and roll or if they're in contemporary music, you know, the whole thing that happened with Miley Cyrus this week is so far out there, it just begs even description. But, But, you know, when I began to understand her culture and I began to understand some things about her life, I began to understand the facade. But that's all it was. It was a facade. Because inside was someone that desperately uh, that needed God and that was so glad that Jesus found her when she was at the very bottom of things. So, so we need to learn how to share with others. So the longer that we are Christ follower, the less we talk to others about our faith. And this is a true statistic. Most statistics say that most people, by the time when a person comes to the Lord, they normally have a network of friends that is going to be at least 12 to 15 people, okay? Most of us have a network of friends, 
But the longer that we live for God, the less friends we have on, if I could say, the outside. Because all of our friends come from the inside. And I have to say that that's the story of my life too. And I found it to be very challenging when I became a pastor. When I worked in the marketplace, as I did in Japan when I was a missionary, uh, I worked teaching English as a second language at a Buddhist college. And I was surrounded with a great mission field all the time, every single day. Because all those Buddhists needed Jesus, didn't they? So I had lots of of opportunity to live out my life before them. I was rubbing shoulders every day with with, uh, people who needed him, which really says that the marketplace is the greatest place of ministry. And ministry in the church is really the least place of ministry. Now, that's not 100% truth, but you understand what I'm saying. Because we have it all mixed up in the church. We feel like people that we, we, we give people the impression that unless they're standing here and they're preaching and they're teaching or they're doing something in the church and unless all of their waking hours outside of their job and their family is in the church, they don't have ministry. And we've got to begin to shift that so that people say that when I'm, I'm working in the grocery store, I'm doing ministry. And when I'm working, you know, at Starbucks, I'm, 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 I'm doing ministry. Or when I'm here or when I'm there, the whole reason God has me on this job is for me to touch other people with his life and with his love and with the good news. And we've just got to shift that. It is so, so important. Okay? That's where the significant ministry is. So I found that once I became, if I could say, full-time in ministry, I got really frustrated because I wasn't with sinners. <laughs> I wasn't with sinners. It, because, because Jesus loves sinners, so, so should all of us. You know? That's, that's the reality of things. And it, Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So what we have to do is to begin to construct our lives different, to be more intentional in who we touch and how we touch people. But on the next slide, it says here, what comes first, the great commission or the great commandment? And it's the great, it's the great commandment, isn't it? The great commandment always precedes the great commission. The great commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor as yourself is the great commission to go into all the world. That's the great commission. So so out of that love relationship that you have with Jesus, he wants you to be so full of love for Jesus that it naturally spills over to others. That when you are in the marketplace and you find someone coming to you with their problems, they are attracted to you because of God's love that's in you. But instead of just giving good advice, you need to say, we're going to stop and pray right now. Because I believe that if I can bring the presence of Jesus into the life of someone, even if they don't accept Jesus right now, I can shift 
the way that they feel about Jesus. And that's really what, what my newsletter is about here. It's about just one story from Bulgaria. Because it was hard for me, I, I could have written three stories for every single day, but I decided to write only one story. And it is the story of meeting someone in this city and, and, and praying for her on the street. And when I p- prayed for her on the street, suddenly all the conversation with her shifted, and it became a day of discipling her. And I've already sent her my book, and uh, she is emailing me, and I'm sort of mentoring her now by, by email, you know, because I took time to pray with her on the street. We have to be unashamed of the gospel. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1? I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So when we are full of love for Jesus, I love Paul's word. You know, the New Testament, instead of referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it refers more to the filling of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. And this is the word in the Greek, flanero, and it means... It reminds me of the coffee I was given last night when I was at my friend's house. She gave me this cup of coffee that had only about an eighth of an inch at the top of it. And I looked at it and said, how am I ever going to get my creamer in here? This is black. (laughs) How am I going to do this? So she got out her 2% milk, which I think is beneath coffee. You need at least half and half. (laughs) Or you need a latte, something like that. Anyway, (laughs) by the time I got that in there, you know, it was that little lip was on the top of the cup. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't even move this on this table. It's going to get the tablecloth all dirty here. What am I going to do? So I had to be very, you know, impolite. It was, I don't know if any of you ever watch Mrs. Bucket, bouquet, on, on, on that silly English program, you know. But I did something very uncouth, and that is that I just, the top of it, <laughs> before I moved the cup. Okay, why? Because that cup was flanero. That cup was full. And if I had moved it at all, it would have spilled over. That's how we are to be full of the love of Jesus. That if anyone touches us, that cursing does not come out of our mouth, but only blessing. If anyone touches us, instead of anger coming out at that person because they've taken advantage of us, they find the sweetness of Jesus coming out. And the life of Jesus touching them. Whenever anyone touches us, the fullness of the Spirit, the flanero of the Spirit is coming out with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness. And I heard a statement this last week on a Graham Cook, uh, you know, CD that was kind of life-changing for me. And it explained my, my, my 12-day trip. But it said, he said this, he said, we are learning that the fruit of the spirit is perhaps more powerful, spiritual, is a more powerful spiritual weapon against the enemy than, than the gifts of the spirit. Now that is profound. And you have to put that in your hopper and you have to think about it. 
that the fruit of the spirit are more the fruits of the spirit are more powerful spiritual weapons against the enemy than is the gifts of the spirit. So on this trip that I just took, there were days, and we were we were only four Americans with a shipload, maybe a hundred and say sixty or seventy Germans who never cracked a smile, who never laughed, who were totally disciplined. And all of the announcements were made in German, except a few that they made for us. I mean, it was like nobody ever talked to us. <laughs> it was crazy. It was a crazy trip. But in the middle of all of this, there were times when we would laugh uproariously. I mean, they must have, I mean, we were the worst Americans you can think of. Americans have a bad reputation abroad because we're loud and we're noisy and no one wants to be around us. But we were the worst of the worst. But there were times, not because we were wanting to be, but there were times when things would just set us off and we would start laughing. And I've really looked back on the trip and thought, that was so bizarre. I don't even act like that. And I finally concluded that was the Holy Spirit. He was bringing joy into that joyless environment. And you've ever traveled in Eastern Europe, you know that it is a place of hopelessness and despair and depression and despondency. And in the midst of that, God wanted someone who would laugh with the Spirit of God and laugh at the enemy and say, you're not going to have this place because I have the prior right. <laughs> anyway, I can't go into that, but, 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 you know, when people begin to touch us, when the, all that oozes out of us is the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the fruit of the spirit, it begins to shift things. Okay. So now we ask the question on the next slide. We ask what hinders us from doing what comes natural. Okay. So when it comes to sharing your faith with others, can you think of two or three things that sometimes keep you from talking to others about Jesus? Okay? I want each one of you to get at least two things in your mind, if not three things. What are the three top reasons why you have trouble telling other people about your faith in Jesus? Okay? This is a classroom today. This is not, I'm not preaching on Sunday morning. When I preach on Sunday morning, I usually don't ask the audience many questions and I don't ask many responses from them. Okay? But this is a different environment. So what I want, I want someone to give me your top reason for not sharing your faith with others. Just raise your hand. Okay? Okay, we're embarrassment. Why are we embarrassed? Well, maybe we're a little bit fearful, aren't we? We're afraid of being rejected, okay? Anybody else? We don't have any confidence, okay? Okay, we are f afraid that that person's not going to be open in the back. We don't have the right answers. I think that has to do with confidence, okay? Anybody else? Uh, all right, yeah. We don't take the time. Okay. And what you really have said are three of the top reasons why people don't share their faith with others. Okay. And in surveys that have been done, the number reason why people don't share their faith with others and going on to the next slide, which gives us some of the hindrances or, or, or fences for reasons why people don't share their faith. And, and the first one is, is fear, fear of rejection uh, fear that I won't know what to say, fear that I may offend, 
uh, fear, uh, you know, just, just whatever. There are all sorts of fears, and we're going to talk about how to break through those fears since that's the number one reason. Um, another one here is extreme separation, and I, I've already covered that a little bit in talking about marketplace evangelism, but many of us are so separated from others. Um, uh, Peter Wagner gave this, this uh, E, uh, extreme separation. He called it, we have koinonitis, okay? Koinonia is, is fellowship, but we have this disease of fellowship in which that's all we do is we fellowship with each other, but we don't fellowship with anyone else, okay? So extreme separation, no preparation. That has to do with the lack of confidence. We're afraid that we won't have answers for people, but I, I, I do want to um, kind of just encourage you, as Jesus said, that when people ask questions, even if you're a very simple person, the Holy Spirit is with you, and he will give you an answer. He will give you an answer. And sometimes the people that ask us the hard questions, you have to discern, number one, is this a valid question, or are they trying to argue? Because when people are argumentative, then you don't get very far. And sometimes at that point in time, the Holy Spirit would give you something to say to cut through the argumentativeness if the person is open. But sometimes argumentativeness really indicates that the person is not very open. So you don't have to carry on the conversation very long, okay? And you don't have to feel very guilty about not carrying it on. But... Um, you know, sometimes people do have valid questions, and I believe that in those moments of time, God can give us answers. Or we can have the honesty to say, I don't know how to answer your question. Why don't we talk about this some more? Why don't you go do some research, and I do some research, and let's get together, you know, maybe next week at Starbucks, and let's talk about this question more. Have the honesty to say that I don't know the answer. But you don't know the answer either, or you wouldn't have asked the question. So why don't we talk about it more? You know, we can always do that. And then, as was mentioned, it, it, it's, it's the clock crunch or time. And if you look at this, this makes an anacronym that says, you know, fences, F-E-N-C-E-S. But the C is the clock crunch or time. And, uh, you know... I have to say of all of these, the time factor is my number one thing. My, my, my two greatest things is my distance away from people who don't know God. I don't meet them very often unless it's in a walk in the park, unless it's in a supermarket, unless I intentionally go about meeting them. And the second one for me is, is my time. My time is so precious. Okay. So then edification overdose. We're just always, you know, always in this churched environment and then we have stereotypes. So how do we break through these things? How do we break through fear? And the first way to break through fear is to face it. Don't run from it. Just say, yeah, I had this problem. But you did say in, in, in the book of Timothy, you know, how, how perfect love cast out fear. You did say, you know, that we need to stir up the gifts that are in us. God has not given us, you know, that spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so you didn't give me that spirit of fear or timidity. You want to give me a spirit of boldness and of courage because you, Holy Spirit, are in me. But I need to stir it up. I need to stir it up. And you stir it up by making the right choices. 
you know, at that moment in time in Rusay, when I had an opportunity to pray for this person, I could have just said to her, okay, uh, I'm really touched by what has happened here, and, and I want you to know I'll be praying for you, and walked away. But when I took time to stop right then, without embarrassing her, I took time to stop right then, and on the street, pray for the need that had been presented to her right then, right there, it shifted everything in our conversation because the presence of Jesus came so close. So we have to have the boldness. Well, I I can say that one of my strong uh, evangelism styles, this afternoon I'm going to talk about evangelism styles, but one of my strong evangelism styles is prayer evangelism. God gives me faith when I pray, and that may not be what yours is, but the the way that we shift things is by facing it and choosing to break it. Instead of running away from the challenge, we choose to embrace the challenge, even if it seems to be a difficult one. Put yourself in places where you can easily meet and talk with others. I want to say I loved it when I had a dog and would go walking. Because when you have a dog and go walking, you meet a lot of people. And I want to say I know that there are some people here that have young families And when you go to the park and go walking with your child, you naturally meet other parents. When you go to the playground, you naturally meet other parents. You know, there are places that we can put ourselves where we naturally will meet other people. Or we can choose to just live in this this place of isolation. So uh, uh, in in one of his books, uh, Bill Hybels calls this this, uh, strategic consumerism. And he's saying that we have to decide, for example, when you go to the bank, always go to the same teller. When you go to the grocery store, always go to the same cashier and begin conversations with that person. And over time, you know, I mean, if nothing else, if you're having a special event at the church, then give them an invitation to a Christmas program. Give them an invitation to something that you're doing at the church that might relate to that person and might minister to them. Uh, The other thing, another way to break through is to begin your day right with the Lord mentally and spiritually by giving your life to the Lord as as a spiritual sacrifice holy and acceptable unto him and and then saying Lord I'm trusting you for opportunities today it's like the story I told at the beginning when that particular student prayed and said as she was getting into her car, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm trusting you that I'll be able to do it. And she got a text right then within about half an hour because she put herself in that position. Okay. So we also make, have to make up time, make time and buy up opportunities. God does give me opportunities, but sometimes I have to choose to turn away from my time schedule. My time schedule can be all consuming. I have this to do, this to do, this to do, but, but I have to buy up those opportunities. I have to stop and make an active choice. I'm going to take time with this person, and I'm going to trust God. He's going to give it back to me. And then the next slide deals with dealing with stereotypes, and we deal with stereotypes with the truth. And the truth is that telling others about Christ is the most fulfilling and wonderful thing that any of us can ever do. You know, if we turn here to John chapter 4, I'm going to read a few verses because I'm covering a lot of material in a little bit of time. Everything I teach is Bible-based, 
but I'm not reading as much of the scripture and asking you to read along. But I do want to turn here and actively read from John chapter 4. And um, we see here in this passage, beginning at verse number, uh, actually, uh, 33, well, if I start in 31, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. So as we reflect on this verse, we see that they have walked all morning long. They probably walked from about 6 o'clock in the morning until noon, and it's blazing hot. It's, It's in Palestine. It's like being in Southern California and walking from maybe if you know these places, walking from Palmdale or Lancaster to Palm Springs, something like that, you know? That would be a long ways to walk. In other words, it's a hot environment, it's an arid environment, and it's rough terrain. If you've ever been in Israel, you know that to go from Galilee in the north to to Jerusalem, and Jesus here is going from Jerusalem back to Galilee, this is rough terrain mountainous terrain, especially when you would go through Samaria. So they have been walking all morning long, and they end up at this village of Sychar, and we know there is this wonderful conversation that follows that about the water. So the disciples have, while Jesus is sitting there, they go out to get food. And when they come back with hummus and and pita bread... (laughs) and fish, and other things like that. I don't know what all they had, but it had to be Middle Eastern, okay? So anyway, when they come back, they say, Jesus, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. That's John four thirty-two. So the disciples say, could someone have brought him food? But what does Jesus say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when we read that verse 34, when he's talking about my food, what is he talking about? He's not talking about physical food. He's talking about spiritual food. And if we reflect on what has just happened, what has just happened? He has been engaged. He's very tired from the morning walk. He's sitting by the well, and he's spending his time talking to this woman who is the village outcast. But when they give him something to eat, he says, I'm not even hungry. I'm so fulfilled. And I don't know about you, but I have had those occasions in my life when I started engaging someone in a conversation. And when I left, even if they didn't accept the Lord, when I left the conversation, it was like I was so full of joy. I was so overflowing. I was so happy. It was like, I couldn't even think of eating. Now, some of you may not have had those experiences, but I hope that God will give them to you because it's wonderful when it's like that. And I can't say it's like that for me every day, but once in a while I have those experiences, and it's so wonderful when it happens. So he says, my my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So, So leading people to the Lord is satisfying. It's satisfying. A lot of things... People think, oh, evangelism is such a horrible duty, but I have to do it as a Christian, so I'll just open my mouth and let this message flow out, and then I hope they don't ask me any questions, and we'll go on and talk about something else. We're so afraid of offending others that we don't understand how wonderful our message really is. 
you know, there's one thing, in the, especially in the last three years, I've really been confronted with Muslim nations, and I've gone to Turkey uh, two times. I've gone to Egypt two times. I have a good friend uh, who is, who's lived in Egypt most, most of her uh, adult life, and, and there's one thing I've discovered. We assume, we assume that people who are Buddhist because, you know, they're going through all of their chanting and all of their meditation. We assume that people that are Muslims, that they somehow are satisfied and they have found an alternative way to God, which, of course, is not truth. But what we don't understand is the emptiness and the hopelessness and the despair and the depression that these people have. Why? Because they've tried everything they can to reach God, and they're still full of emptiness and hopelessness. They have prayed five times a day. They have, they have memorized the Quran cover to cover. They have taken up arms. They have, they have fasted every morning. They've got up before sunshine, sunrise and have fasted every day in Ramadan. And when they end up at the end of all of that, they have only hopelessness. Despair. They don't have any holiness or knowledge that Jesus has forgiven them. They have nothing. We have to really be gripped with that. That is truth. That is truth. And we have to come out, you know, this, this idea of universalism is so pervasive in our culture that everybody is going to make it to heaven somehow. That is not true, beloved. But the reality is that that is not only not true, but people without Jesus are really hopeless. They're without God. It doesn't matter if they're Buddhist, if they're Hindus, if they're Muslim. Everybody has that God void in their life. That God void in their life. And it doesn't matter how devout they are to their own religion. They need Jesus. So telling other people about God is so fulfilling. And there are others around us that have never heard heard that are really dying to hear. There are many adults in America today because America has shifted. It's no longer a Christian nation. It's unchristian. It's unchristian. We could even go so far as to say it's pagan. And all you have to do is see the rise of paganism at the holiday that was just celebrated this week. The total rise of paganism and witchcraft and the occult and everything else in our culture. But if we're not careful, we don't uh, realize that there are people around us that have never heard this message. They've never heard it. And without Christ, they will go to a Christless eternity. And this picture and this, and, and this, this particular slide is the actual picture from a hurric- that big hurricane about maybe three years ago that slammed Haiti. And this was a woman that was drowning in the waters. This is an actual photo that was taken of a woman that was drowning in the midst of the waters. But beloved, if we were to take the veil off our eyes, if we do a prayer walk around our neighborhood, there are people all around us who are drowning And we have to realize this is truth. This is reality. But we have a responsibility. So what was Jesus' motivation? In Luke 9, 10, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what I live for. 
That's what I live for is to share the love of Christ with others. And the church has to be gripped with this fresh. We have to catch the fire. The next slide. We have to catch a, burn, a burning heart for evangelism. And as I, as I close this lecture, as I will within about two minutes, I'm just going to pray for God to give us that burning heart. That burning heart. Unless we have a renewal in our heart today. You, you will only hear information. You will go away the same. But if he takes a coal off the altar, a burning coal off the altar, and he begins to put it in our heart and say, I'm nothing, and there's really nothing I can do for you, Lord. And, and, and I declare that I'm really poor at doing this, but I'm willing, I'm willing for you to begin to take me and to use me and to bless me and to break me and to give me to others and to the world around me that is hurting. So we need to say, <clears throat> the next slide, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to baptize us. And here is a statement. I think this comes from Cheong's book. Um, this, and, and I want to say, you know, if you look at my shelf, I probably have maybe 20, at least 20, if not 30 books on evangelism. But my top book is this book. It's Spirit-Led Evangelism. I think especially for Pentecostal and charismatic churches, this works. Now, I have great esteem for Bill Hybels, but I don't want spirit, uh, seeker-sensitive churches. I want spirit-sensitive churches, Okay. And, and, and so I use and I adapt some Heibel's material. But this book starts off with this whole idea of starting off with the Great Commandment instead of the Great Commission. But, but he goes on and he talks about how character and discipline is at the, is at the core of evangelism. And then he moves on to such topics as, as prophetic evangelism and church planting and understanding our mission field and how to take power evangelism to the streets. And he has a lot of other really, really good content here. So I, 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 I highly recommend this book. This is one of the required texts when I, I teach uh, this particular class, Reaching the Lost Through Power and Love. You see, churches like Bill, Heibel church, Bill Heibel's church, you know, they, they try to reach the world through love, through truth, but they don't have the power component. And I'm telling you, when we consider what this week is that we've gone through in terms of Halloween, unless you have the power of God today, you're not going to appeal to today's audience because they have been soaked in a different power and in a different power paradigm. But we have the true power paradigm to give them. But evangelism is to flow out of that overflow of the spirit in our life, the overflow of love in our life. And that's how we are unique and different from other evangelicals. And that's what we have to give to people. So, so here is the statement. God is reserving a baptism of love for his last days, his last days church that will transform her into a fire blaze of passionate concern for the lost. So as we approach the second coming of Jesus, while the darkness grows darker, the light should grow lighter. The flame of God should burn brighter in our hearts. No amount of rejection will be able to extinguish this fire for the lost because the intensity of the fire is regulated by the love of God shed abroad in the heart. 
So when that love of God is shed abroad in your heart, and when you're passionately in love with Jesus, and when your, fire, your heart burns for Jesus, and you're in love for Jesus, you will want to tell other people about it. And it doesn't matter even if you're rejected. People can't keep you from telling. It's like what Peter and, and, and John told, you know, when they, were, when they were brought before the Sanhedrin in, in, in Acts chapter, chapter 4. And, and they said, we cannot help but when they were commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, they said, we can't help but talk about this person. You know, you can threaten us. They knew that the, the people they were talking to was the very ones that had killed Jesus. You can threaten us if you want, but we're going to keep on talking. And so when they get out of prison, what do they pray? Lord, give us boldness, boldness boldness. And if there's anything the church today needs to pray for, it's boldness and courage for a baptism of boldness and courage. Evangelistic fervor fueled by God's love from within can face any human or demonic obstacle. And I truly believe that. So how can we get started on the last slide? We need to pray to start off with. Pray for our friends, pray for our neighborhoods, pray for opportunities. We need to prepare ourselves. Sometimes we can do that through the books that we read. And I want to say all you have to do is go out to YouTube to go to sites like even uh, Ravi Zacharias and Tim, Timothy Keller. There's lots of materials on YouTube. If, if you're the, uh, you know, that kind of person that wants to, wants to learn in that more visual way instead of an auditory way rather than, than uh, just by books. I don't say that that takes the place of books, but I know a lot of learners today prefer other learning styles. But there are other things that are produced for other learning styles. But you can prepare yourself because these kind of sites like Ravi Zacharias, uh, Timothy Keller, uh, you can even look at Lee Strobel, those do the preparation to help us to learn how to talk with authority and with confidence. But you have to have the spiritual preparation as well, not the answers, the intellectual answers alone. But you have to have the spiritual preparation as well. But then, then we have to make the choices, don't we? We just have to get started. So let's just stand up, shall we? That will give all of us a break. Yeah. <laughs> You've been sitting a long time. We will stretch and say, we love you, Jesus. We raise our hands and say, we are so totally, passionately, uh, totally, absolutely, no words to describe it. We're in love with you, Jesus. Uh, we love you. We love you, and we're in love with you. And all we want to do is live for your glory. Oh, Lord, you know, here I am this age, but I want to burn brighter than I've ever burned before. <laughs> I want to burn. I want to burn. I want to burn with your holy fire, oh, Lord. I want to burn for your glory. Even as, as John Wesley said, set yourself on fire, and the world will see you come and burn out. So we want to burn for you, God. And we want this fiery love to spill over into our neighborhoods, to spill over into our schools, to spill over into the marketplace, to spill over into our jobs, O oh Lord, to spill over into the lives of those that we meet, O oh God. Burn within us, Holy Spirit. Because if you will fill us with that intensity of love for you, it will be so easy to share our faith. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for loving us. 
Thank you for your patience with us. And if any of us, you know, need to repent right now, we do that. We do it with joy and say, Lord, I know this is not a strong area of my life. But I'm asking you to come and to forgive me for all of the opportunities and missed moments I've, I've missed and put those under the blood of Jesus and help me to begin afresh today, living every, new, every day new to please you, to honor you, and to touch others with your grace and your glory.